Mike Flanagan is back for another terrifying tale on Netflix. Today I'm talking about Midnight Mass. This is Scott's Indulgent Movie Podcast. movie friends welcome to scott's self-indulgent movie podcast i am scott and today i'm talking about the recent netflix show midnight mass which uh, i will do my very best to avoid major spoilers throughout throughout this discussion so letting you know up front but it's the most recent thing from the guy behind the haunting of hill house and the haunting of blind manor uh one a project he described as deeply personal and you can definitely tell and it's you know, it's a bit more intense and a bit more, I don't know, kind of existential than a lot of the other his other work has been, but I really liked it, and I wanted to discuss why. So without further ado, let's get started. When it comes to slow-burn atmospheric horror, Mike Flanagan has become Netflix's go-to guy. The Haunting of Hill House was a hit that got a follow-up series, The Haunting of Bly Manor, made. And now, seemingly out of nowhere, he drops a series about creepy happenings in a dying island town in New England, Midnight Mass. But can it match Flanagan's other acclaimed work? The film takes place on Crockett Island, a small fishing village on the East Coast, where Riley Flynn is returning home after four years in jail. While the small town peters along as its way of life and populace either dies or moves away, Things take a drastic turn with the arrival of a new young priest and strange happenings throughout the community. I think it's best to go into this series completely cold. Unlike Flanagan's other series, Midnight Mass keeps its horror elements close to the vest until about halfway through when it kicks things into high gear, lays all of its cards on the table, and everything starts to look in place. So is it worth a watch? I certainly think so, and there's a few big reasons why. First and foremost, we have the Flanagan Hallmarks. At this point, Mike Flanagan has a very distinctive style that's easy to spot. He loves emotionally driven horror movies, has a number of repeat actors, including his talented wife Kate Siegel as one of our leads. He likes technical challenges, a la a tracking shot on a beach to open the second episode, and monologues for days. That's all on full display in the series, along with some more visual flourish, including some great wide shots, boosted roles for folks like Ralph Cooley, who crushes every scene he's in, and a more grounded approach to personal demons and ghosts instead of his previous series' literal ones. And yes, this series takes the violence and visual horror up a notch, especially compared to the previous two series. If you liked his other work, this will be right in your wheelhouse, but it still has plenty of other elements to offer. It's also a love letter to Stephen King. Without giving too much away, Midnight Mass plays like a collection of King's biggest hang-ups and villains. The human horror of zealotry presented by Bev Keen blended with the supernatural element brought in at the same time as our young priest. Hell, even Riley is coming home to a ton of family tension thanks to his drunk driving conviction that got someone killed. There's this air that the town and its history are inescapable and refuse to let people go. Hence why Kate Siegel's Aaron Green is back, or why the town doctor, Sarah Gunning, stays with her mother as she declines due to dementia. But because it's a series, we can lay out all of these elements one by one and give each character time to grow, where in a movie, you can't. But mainly, we're talking about religious zeal and the fear of annihilation. 
While his previous shows focused on the pains of memory and words left unsaid, Midnight Mass is primarily about two things, a takedown of religious zealotry and dying, and specifically the regret that comes with it. On the religious angle, the show emphasizes how easy it is for faith and the faithful to be manipulated. When the new priest arrives and starts performing miracles, only a handful of people demonstrate suspicion. They're told to accept that it's an act of God and to move on, which is a terrifying rabbit hole to start down when people start dying and the priest becomes more unhinged. This skepticism is represented by the outwardly atheist Riley, and one thinks of Flanagan's self-insert character, who looked for God everywhere in prison and didn't find it, and finds everything that's happening more akin to bad omens or suspicious happenings than miracles. The series then doubles down with the most hateable character in the world, Bev, who is everything wrong with religious zealots. She's racist, intolerant, acts maliciously because it's God's will. All that stuff. And while she is awful and cowardly, the hardest thing is watching people go along with her suggestions. This is what religion can make you susceptible to, especially if you view it as from a chosen versus a not-chosen point of view. And the series, though I think it could have been more on the nose about this towards the end, also acknowledges how and why this happens. Fear. Specifically, fear of dying. Loss has been a big theme in Flanagan's work, but he's rarely taken the time to address why dying is so terrifying, and how we, as humans, will thrash against it and do anything to resist it. Our mortality makes us more aware of what we don't have, our regrets and our purpose, or lack thereof. But it shouldn't guide us. It shouldn't make us violent and malevolent towards other people or blind to our impact. From Flanagan's perspective, the only real way to stop fearing death and annihilation isn't denial, it's acceptance. We have to accept what it means and stare in the abyss together. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.